We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a captaincy material by taking the focus off the football. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, what could a captain of this Arsenal do any more to prove that he has the backs of his teammates and his coach than get everyone talking about anything but the football? And that's exactly what he did. Um, Tim and I are going to have a chat tomorrow for patrons. He's not available today, uh, so we will follow up. I think the club is going to have a statement out, and we'll address all that. But for today, we are going to dive deep into the Palace game. And to be fair, a lot of this conversation is going to focus on Shaka, on the the coach, on the David Ornstein article that dropped on The Athletic, uh, which is not a promotion. It is just a reference to a thing that actually happens. <laughs> I'm sorry for the crossover content there. Um, and and we'll have a guest associated with that uh, in an upcoming pod. Having said that, um, you know, we did put out an instant reaction pod on Patreon that was sort of my hysterical reaction. This will hopefully be a little bit more measured. Clive was, as always, uh, very measured. And we'll be discussing issues that I think people connect with in a very personal way. So if you disagree with anybody's take you know, that, that's certainly understandable, and we want to hear from you and, and engage on that topic. Um, but it is, I think people react to this sort of stuff very personally, so I think we should be mindful of the fact that that everybody brings their own lens to, to this kind of thing that happened with Shaka and, and what's going on at the club. The other thing I'm going to say is this. We will touch on VAR, but I don't think that's an interesting conversation because it's patently ridiculous what happened. Is clearly a sham. It is clearly an error. VAR is clearly a calamity. It has clearly been uh, put in place in the wrong way. Whether you think VAR should exist altogether or not, there's no debate that the way it is implemented currently works, because it doesn't. And there's no debating the fact that we got fucked. But that, as a conversation, I don't know has a lot in it. 
Like, what are we going to do? We're just going to sit around and agree we got fucked? Cool, we got fucked. Hey, Paul, we got fucked. Clive, we got fucked. So let's get fucked together. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Definitely earned the ex, uh, explicit rating for this one. Clive's on Twitter at Clive BAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay, Clive, I want to do something as we to, as sort of an introduction to the Shaka discussion. I want to give a timeline of how I experienced it watching it over and over and over again and sort of talking to some people that were at the game. If you disagree factually with anything I'm about to say, please let me know, you too, Paul. But for right now, I'm just going to give this as a backdrop for how I saw it playing out. And then I want to get your take on Shaka's behavior, the ramifications for the club, and so on. So Shaka's not having a great game. Fine. It is what it is. The board goes up. Now, my read on this is the fans are sitting around at the stadium waiting to see if Emery makes a half-decent sub or if he does some stupid conservative thing. Because right now, I think there's a lot of animosity and uh, not a lot of trust in the coach. The board goes up, and it's Saka for Shaka. And there's a cheer that I think is a very organic reaction that I think is an authentic reaction. Like, hey, he's making a positive substitution. Shaka's reaction to that is to take the armband off and throw it to the ground by Aubameyang, which there's a great picture online of Aubameyang giving him a death stare if you want to find it. Um, and then begin to trudge off the pitch when we've been pinned back from a two-goal lead and we're chasing the game. As the fans kind of catch on to the fact that he has just chucked the armband and is walking some boos start to cascade down on him. He raises his arms as if to say more and more. He gets it. He cups his ear as if to say, I can't hear you. So he gets more of it and then takes his shirt off, balls it up and storms down the tunnel and gets more of it. The irony for me is I don't watch WWE anymore, but I watched it back when it was WWF because I'm old. This was classic fans reacting to a heel wrestling drama. Like, if we weren't all Arsenal fans and we're viewing it from a distance, from a remove, it would almost be funny because it's classic heel behavior. But to me, that is the timeline of how it happened, and and that will sort of obviously impact how I react to it, which I'll give you after you guys have had a chance to do it. So with that as a backdrop, Clive, first, if you'd like to correct anything I've said in my in my interpretation of the timeline, feel free, and then how do you feel about the incident itself? Well, the first thing you said, that Jack is having a poor game. I don't agree with him. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, we're off the rails already. Here it goes. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, I was going to say objection on line one, but I thought I'd let you keep going. So so, so basically, um, Shaq was having an average game. Uh, I don't think I thought substitution was the right thing to do. And Shaq and Grinduzzi, you heard me say already, the same player, in my opinion. One should start, one should sit. And the sooner we choose, the better. Um, so, Shaka came off. I think people are quite pleased with the substitution anyway, because it's 2 2. We're trying to win the game. Substitution makes sense. Because the pace was sitting in, Sabayas goes to the base, Shaka goes to, uh, Saka sorry, goes to the left, and we go again. Makes perfect sense. In fact, it could have been the starting team for me, but there you go. So, not a problem with that. And the way you've highlighted the situation is probably pretty accurate to be honest um but after a day of thinking about it you know the actual situation is something that's been brewing for a long time the way shaka responds to criticism is a little bit emotional a little bit sensitive i said yesterday in the patreon pod what he did is he made the whole situation about him uh he's very much a team man that's why the the team picked him as their captain um i'm very much somebody that always looks at the team first if I see somebody make it about themselves, I don't really like that. And then there are certain unwritten rules in the game, whether they're right or wrong. 
Um, throwing the captain's armband. Well, that's not one rule you want to break too often. Um, taking off the shirt and, and potentially throwing that to the ground. I couldn't quite see it on TV. I coverage. don't think he did. He, he just stopped short of it. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say, right, because once you do that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's death by a thousand cuts, right? So, but taking the shirt off and showing disdain against the club rules where you're meant to sit on the bench, support your teammates, make sure the player coming on has the first respect. All those unwritten rules in football, he um, he broke them all. So if you look at the situation based on on Sunday, Shaka's um, behaviour was not was not fantastic. And as a captain of the club, I'm afraid you have some responsibilities. And he fell short of his. There you go, done. But there's a wider thing here, and there's a wider thing that's been brewing for probably about five or six years. And that is how fans are increasingly becoming extreme in their reactions to things they don't like seeing, whether that be to managers, whether that be to players, whether that be to transfers. And it's all about how we analyse the game and how we feel about the game. And I think the modern fan has, well, modern fan culture has become quite quite selfish, if I'm honest. Um, primarily, it's a lot about how people feel themselves rather than getting their heads up and thinking how it affects other people and how we're perceived. Now, some people say, well, you know what, Clive, you're being so sanctimonious, you're, you always say this sort of stuff. You, But I generally believe it. I generally do believe and care very much about how Arsenal are perceived. And anything like this that happens, it makes us weaker, makes us smaller, makes us a laughing stock, makes us an embarrassment that we can have such an internal issue go to this level of vitriol and ugliness. And it's, it's almost like we've done it to ourselves and we've allowed it to become the biggest thing. I mean, I watched this game 90 minutes. I can barely remember it. You know, I can barely <laughs> for the remember best. it because... <laughs> you're, you're better off than those of us who can. <laughs> <laughs> because it, emotionally, you know, the, the, the one thing stayed with me, kept me awake half the night, was this. I, know, by the just, way, I can vouch for that. Me. You were in the Discord at 5 a.m. your time. It just bothered me. It bothered, and it bothers me because I do. Uh, and I, uh, by the way, it's not about me. I really do care about the club's perception. I really do care about the outward messages and how we're viewed. It, it, it's, it's, it's everything to me because there will be a price to pay for those actions. There will be a price to pay for everyone who who booed or support the booing, they've had their moment, well done, we've embarrassed the player, the player's embarrassed himself, well done. There will be a price to pay for this. There will be a player that was going to stay that may leave. There will be a young player out there thinking, I don't want to go to that club, it's too toxic. There will be somebody who will say, if I'm going to go to Arsenal, I want more money. There will be a young player who's on the ball, who's got an opportunity to pass the ball between eye of a needle, but because he's a bit worried about the atmosphere, may pass it square or backwards and run away and mark himself. There will be a price to pay for this, whether you like it or not. And we can have these small moments, but in the end, I care about the club moving forward in a positive way. And I'm most concerned about the price we will pay for this. And I'm most concerned about what the recovery strategy will look like so we can get back to some form of unity because I've never seen any club go forward in a positive way if it's divided. Mm. And and I think that's really well said. I agree with pieces of it. As you know, there are pieces I slightly disagree with. I think on the player point, I would only say that the really big players in the game, the really talented ones, the ones who make it, make it because they can tune out 
all the distractions and be great when it matters. I think of Raheem Sterling and what Raheem Sterling has had to to go through as a player in his development with fans, with media, um, with racist abuse, which is a totally different category thing altogether. And, and the way he excels in the moment when it matters. And I'm not saying that everyone can do that, but certainly I think the biggest success stories in sports are are among players who can who mentally can be keyed into what's happening on the field of play and less can about I, what's happening around them. And yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, man. Can I just add one thing on one thing? Yeah, in? sure. So it's a really good example of somebody that basically was set up by the English media to be the scapegoat. If the World Cup went wrong, he was incredibly fortunate to have a manager that kept picking him. When everyone else wanted changes in that England team, he kept picking him. He kept picking him throughout the World Cup. Now, because he's been supported by his club manager, by Mikel Arteta, by Gareth Southgate, all the coaching staff, they recognised his talent. They kept picking him and supporting him until eventually his talent came through. And I just feel, I wonder what it would have been like if he was dropped because of fans didn't like him. He was getting booed by England fans. He was getting a lot of stick in the, in the, the right-wing English media. But Gareth Southgate stuck by him. A couple of years later... Here we are with, I'd say, a top five player in Europe quite easily. I think at points of uh, distress when your career is going through turmoil, you need support. It's as simple as that. You can recover. I'm not saying Grant Shaka is the talent of Raheem Sterling. And you talk about people that have made it. All these players have made it. Football is 99.9% rejection. To get to this elite level, you've made it. Right. So it's a matter of how you want to live, where you want to live. Who do you want to play for in a finite period where you're an elite athlete at the very top level? So I think having that support to get you through these moments is really, really important. Is what I like to yes. say. Yes, and, and and you know what? Like we can get into the question of what is the appropriate way to treat footballers in a public setting because I think that is important. But Paul, I absolutely want to bring you in here and and get a lot of perspectives from you on what happened in the ground, your reaction to it personally. And I think we do have to talk about what this means for Granite Shaka going forward and, and you know, how it impacts the dressing room. Look, first of all, I want to compliment the nuance of our panel and the sophistication we have and of our audience, because you can say something. We don't categorize people into one camp or the other. You can say something that might sound one thing, but we see, we see the nuance in it. So here goes. Um, I'd have been absolutely fine with Granite Chaka telling those people to go and fuck themselves, even as captain, depending on how he did it. Um, to your, I think your description of the events is mostly right, but incredibly generous to those who did the cheering and then the booing. Um, there is no way that Granit Xhaka didn't pick up the vibe that uh, there was a significant section of this crowd who were basically blaming him for where we were at in that game and uh, and the frustrations of this season and blaming the manager. He's smart. He's been thinking about this a lot. He got exactly what was going on, and that's why he reacted the way he did. Now, the way he reacted was totally unacceptable. While I think it's actually fine for him to go and tell those people to fuck themselves if he does it right and then he behaves, he carries himself in a certain way, almost a Trumpian way, a kind of look him straight in the eye and say, you give me shit, I'll give you shit. 
there's a way of doing that. He didn't do that. All of his actions from there on, I think, are very understandable on a human level. Uh, but uh, I think totally undermine his position as uh, captain and make it untenable. But on the the whole conversation of should he ever have been a captain, he's been a captain wherever he went. So there's something about him within the team, within the squad, that we shouldn't forget. But he's kind of blown up the bridge at this point. So hence I ask for those with nuance to remember all the points I'm making here. I'm not necessarily making the point they think I'm making. Um, I don't. If the game has changed, if if what football is. And maybe it was at different times in the past. But if what football is now is you can boo your own player and your own captain and cheer him coming off in an ironic but also pointed way so you can get at the manager, so be it. Uh, Let's not be too precious. If we don't want to be too precious on how the fans are supposed to behave, look, the guy can speak up for himself and he can handle himself and he can say what he wanted to say. And he can behave how he wanted to behave, but there's a way of doing it, and he didn't do it. So that's that's one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is, I have to confess, there's a part of me that thinks those people who who cheered, booed, whatever you want to call it, and there were there were different stages of reactions, and people who joined in and were critiquing how he was reacting and how he was walking and how it became all about him, which while I understand it. Uh, I also understand that's that's not acceptable for a captain going forward. I get all of that. Um, but my point on that is that there's a part of me that that doesn't like the fact that I think they may have done us a service by bringing this to a head. Kind of like certain people who did the dirty, dirty work during the Wenger era. It, you know, it, it was almost like we were never going to get out of it nicely. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, it's like an argument with your spouse. Sometimes it has to get ugly, not too ugly, but ugly enough that shit gets real, stuff gets said, and uh, it becomes clear that that stuff needs to be addressed. Um, so I kind of feel guilty, but there's a part of me that thinks this needed to happen, and that there wasn't going to be a nice way of it happening, and it makes it easier to have real conversations at Arsenal about what the real issues is. I think it goes, it's like you look at the Russian revolution and the way they, the communists executed the Romanovs, the the czar's family on the basis that if there were any royals left, the other European powers would come in to support the royals and try and put them back in power. You know, there's no part of me that thinks executing uh, the Romanovs. I mean, Disney made a lovely cartoon about it. <laughs> and no part of me thinks that that's morally acceptable, supportable, etc. But actually, I don't know that they had another fucking choice. If you don't execute the Romanovs, I mean, I'm watching. Da- There's a lot of Downton Abbey in my feed recently because I'm rewatching the whole mm. thing. And like, actually, that whole political situation comes up and I can't stop thinking about it as I talk about Arsenal and I think about these circumstances, dirty work has to be done uh, because otherwise it's all too nice and <clears throat> shit get cans get kicked along the road. Yeah. And it, it, it makes me look into myself and think, well, maybe maybe there's a role for all of this. I don't like it. Tomo- I think it's unprincipled. I think it's low. On the other hand, I'm not entirely sure that shit gets real 
if this stuff isn't done. So I don't know where I'm at on D- it, basically. Divorces rarely happen amicably and are rarely initiated by good behavior. <clears throat> um, yes, th- though interestingly, divorces sometimes happen because people don't have the arguments. They don't fight. That's they a very don't get good point. Their- you're right. There's no communication. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right about it. Look, a couple of things here. First of all, I think it's funny that you mentioned Trump because he got booed quite hilariously at the World yeah. Series. I don't see anyone <laughs> complaining about that. Um, I think there is a point that has to be made at this point. First of all, booing isn't abuse, in my opinion. Abuse is abuse. And something I want to clarify, because I hate whataboutism, and there's been a bit of this on my timeline in social media. Saying that you're okay or comfortable with the booing does not mean you're okay with threats on social media, does not mean you're okay with coins or rocks being thrown or things being done to someone's car. Like, I wasn't comfortable with Arsene Wenger being assaulted on that train, verbally assaulted on that train platform in Stoke. I felt that crossed the line of being a bit intimidating and personal and and not a forum where it's acceptable. I happen to think that making an ooing noise, woo, like with your mouth at a stadium, even if you find it unpleasant, is part of the theater of sport. I mean, if you watch WWE, there's heels and there's whatever the good guys are called and people cheer and people boo and it's all part of the theater. Like, I think that is an acceptable part of the theater of sport. And it also has to be said at this point that, look, you cannot be an American and grow up in American sporting culture and not be around booing. It is just part of it. I'm not saying that makes it right, by the way. I'm saying it makes it hard for me culturally to connect with the outrage around it because, like, if you walk down Fifth Avenue flicking Vs, no one would be offended because that's not an obscene gesture here. You know, there, sometimes culturally there are just differences. Now, the thing that can offend you is the way it felt like people were ganging up on him. And I, I take that on board. I do. I think, you know, it's like if you give someone the finger when you're driving and you're in a road rage incident, and the next day you're like, eh, I really shouldn't have done that. I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't think the booing is pre-planned. I don't think people are like, I'm going to get Granite Shaka. I think it is an authentic emotion. And I think that it is an authentic emotion that comes out. People boo their own team in America, like, regularly. It is about the most constant thing that happens in professional sports in America. And so I just can't see it as this hateful, vicious act. I can accept that other people do see it that way. Um, But I think calling it abuse, to me, is not correct. And saying that you're okay with the booing is not saying you are okay with abuse. And I only bring that up because we should stay focused on the things we all agree on. Like if someone went out in the parking lot and punched him in the face, of course that's wrong. So we have to delineate where there, because you know, I read something on social media, someone made a good point. It might've been in the Discord even saying, well, if you can't boo at the stadium when you're upset, then what do you do? Do you go out in the parking lot and scream at him there when the cameras aren't on? Do you go to his house? Do you go on social media and write nasty shit? Like, like if you don't get to express displeasure in the ground, I'd say the other places to do it aren't any better either. So the notion that, that you're not going to have that normal human emotion come out, I think is wrong. And I think it's interesting listening to players like Ian Wright, for example, say he's wrong. He can't do that. Not as a captain of Arsenal. It's not an okay reaction. And hearing Unai Emery say he's wrong. He can't do that. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're paid millions of pounds as a professional athlete to perform in front of millions of people. It is the massive millions of people that you're performing in front of, the the size of the audience that brings in the volume of, of, of fortune that it does. And part of the responsibility that goes with that is recognizing that these are 
emotive people who are not always going to have your back and you got to take a deep breath. You got to you got to just go do your job and then go home to your huge house, crack open a nice bottle of wine and blow off the steam. Uh, you know, Paul, I, I know you want to jump in, so I will let you. I will just say that again, you'd like that not to happen. But the extent to which that can happen in a sporting ar- arena I think is still within the bounds of what happens at a sporting event. What Shaka did in reaction, I, I don't think is an acceptable thing for a player to do in reaction to that if he wants to continue to have a career at that club. There was a, a quarterback for the Denver Broncos who gave the middle finger to his fans. Fair play. He got run out of town. That's how it happens. Paul, so, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is not America. This is not the NFL. There are cultural norms there are geographic norms totally there are even sporting yes. norms like it's not the same in football rugby cricket snooker just in the uk uh, there are norms and people kind of know where the line is but the problem at the moment is that the line is shifting now if you think that's that culture is a minor thing culture is king like Totally agree. Yeah, but it, yeah. But it influences our interpretation. Hang on, of things hang, yeah, hang on, Elliot. Hang on. Hold your horses. You got it. So, like in China and Korea, in certain parts, they eat dogs. Now, you have a dog, right? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. So imagine you had you hired a, a dog sitter while you were out, and she happened to be Korean. And when you came back, you found her with a bottle of barbecue sauce in her hand and like dog fur all over no, her face. No, I get face it. She wouldn't hands. do that because she knows that that's not done. I mean, well, well, she also might be a crime. do. Well, she might do that, and you'd be really, really upset. Well, it would, so be, like, a, it would be a criminal act because she'd be destroying. Yeah. Pro- it'd be the destruction of property, and she'd be arrested for it. But yeah. So ironically, Stan was at the NFL in London. So there's all sorts of interesting crossovers. But the nor- the norms you and I and Clive experience are all different. And Clive kind of knows that stadium. Uh, Tim has a different take on it, w- potentially with Arsenal in that stadium and those reactions. And, and the difficulty is this is right in that area of over the line uh, um perhaps inappropriate behavior, but perhaps necessary behavior, but perhaps spontaneous. It's just a mess. It, and and at some stage we're going to talk how we got here, but there's the, a lot of the what, what we think should, needs to be done at the end of the day in terms of the manager, in terms of the captain, etc. We might all be agreeing on. It's the how, how we got here, how we're behaving how we get there that the real problem is. And at that stage, I'll hand it over to Clive, I think. Yeah, and, and that is that is totally fair. Clive, uh, one more comment on this because then I want to sort of ask you what the club has to do with respect to Shaka. And I will only point out, by the way, that repeatedly we're told why Shaka gets to be captain, in part because he was voted that way, but also because the mentality, the experience, the leadership. But, like, I see a guy on the pitch and in his reaction to adversity, the red cards in his past, the way he fouls, this reaction here, he is a fiery emotional guy who, to me, when the chips are down, is not able to control himself. You said it, and I think you made the most important point. This reaction is a selfish reaction about how he's being treated. It is a look-at-me reaction, not a protecting-his-teammates reaction. And I I don't think you can have a leader and a captain who, who reacts this way. More important than the point about the Korean dog handler? Uh, yeah, I didn't love that one, if I'm being, <laughs> being honest. I don't think that was apt. But go go ahead. Go ahead, Clive. Yeah, I mean, 
Well, I will say on on fan culture, um, football's a very very tribal game, and you don't really boo one of your own. Right, that's a general rule. If it doesn't happen very normal, it's not normal. You boo everyone else and everyone else in the ground, and but you don't boo your own in general. And and it's starting to happen a bit more. We're starting to take on our own people. Um, the way I grew up. You'd even you'd even argue with your own fans. Now social media's wiped that down. But when you know the way I grew up watching football, it was a very tribal game on the terraces, and you looked after each other. That's how it was. And as for the players, you you would dream of of playing them on a regular basis, right? So, but things have changed. I recognise that life has moved on. The game has moved on. Um, I personally have got my own principles and structures where I'd never boo one of our own players. I just couldn't think of anything that would make me do that. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't critique people. It doesn't mean that I can't see weaknesses in people. Just because someone might be a bit slow, might not have a great right foot, it's not for us to say why the dressing room has picked him as captain and the manager has picked him as captain, the previous manager picked him as captain, the international manager picked him as captain. But because we think he's slow, because we think he's unathletic, because we don't rate the person, we... I've decided he shouldn't be captain. Well, now he's exploded and he's given us reasons to make sure that he's not going to be captain. I suspect the announcement tomorrow will, will be about that, you know. So, um, but I will say within that within the club, everything that I've read, everything about how he trains, how he acts, how he mentors, how he behaves, how he organises, captain's leadership comes in many different forms. It's not just based on someone's right foot and their ability not to give away penalties. Right? So that's that side of things. I think the American side of things regarding NFL, I, I don't think it's relevant here, Elliot. I really don't. Um, it, it, it's I don't absolutely think... relevant. Just real quick, I'm going to tell you why. Because you can't ask uh, someone who's not offended by booing to be offended by booing. Like, uh, this is a this is an emotional reaction. No, like, so what, you know that, what I mean? But I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. What I'm saying to you, this is a... We're talking about what happened in the stadium, which makes it a local issue. Sure, of course. It makes it it makes it a local issue. It makes it about people who are paying customers, how they felt at that moment in time, what they felt was okay, what they felt was allowable. That's for them to decide in the atmosphere of a, of a ground. In a live situation, we have lots of emotions, with the results not going our way, with other teams around us playing well, with smiles on their faces, and suddenly we've thrown away a two-goal lead. And we're looking for something. We're looking for something to blame. We're looking for someone to blame. And the reaction was a human reaction to to focus on something that was in front of us. And the player's reaction was also a human reaction. And so these things happened. It was a perfect storm. And I said earlier, there'll be a price to pay for this. I promise you. It may not be immediate in the, in the short term, but there will be a price. But you know what Paul's point about um, this may have needed to happen? I thought that was a really astute point, and maybe this agree, did yeah. need to happen. But maybe this did need to happen. But I then start to think about what is the next step. So this has now happened. What do we do now? Mm. What is a recovery? What does the roadmap really look like? And people tell you, you know, when Paul says, you know, this needs to happen, I, I do agree. But now what? I just can't. I just can't think now. What? Well, I think he has to be stripped of the captaincy. I don't. I don't see how he can continue to to wear the armband. And 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 you know, look. Let me make a point. I'm not saying that what happens in the NFL is relevant. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant was, all of us bring to the reaction to this. 
the cultural foundation we have of how to support a team. What I think is interesting is there's a lot of people online saying, oh, this isn't, you can't support a team this way. When the irony is 40,000 or so people at the Emirates sure thought so. And the thing I think we all get the benefit of doing is in hindsight evaluating. I don't think people in the stadium were like, oh, just give me a chance to boo Shaka. Okay, here it is. I think the reaction was authentic. A, a sarcastic cheer that Emery was actually making a progressive sub, a player who wasn't running off, which got people a little angry, so they booed a bit, him egging on the booing, and the booing intensifying. I don't think that it was contrived or planned or thought about. I think it was a bunch of people who were very emotional reacting to a situation in real time. And that goes for Shaka too. The difference is, I think the fans' reaction in real time is something that they is within the bounds of what they can do as fans watching a game. And I think as a workplace incident for Shaka, it's beyond the bounds of what he's supposed to do at the workplace. And, you know, look, anyone who's ever worked in retail, anyone, you know, my parents owned a retail store when I was growing up and I worked there. And you know, there were times when there were customers, you just wanted to fucking knock their lights out, man. But like, you just can't do that. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, you can't boo Shaka who yell at the barista at Starbucks for not putting the extra shot of vanilla in their venti latte. So, like, you don't, I, I'm Elliot, just, Elliot, you know, Elliot, go ahead. What I will say, what I will say is, this is this is a mess. I don't think anyone covered themselves in glory in this situation. I don't think, you know, I, I just don't think, I don't think there's a right or wrong. You could, you could say, we can definitely say that, behavior on all sides was not really what I would like to it's see. It's not ideal, of course right? not. It's not nice. We no, don't it's like just that. Not ideal, right? <laughs> exactly. It's just not what, what I'd like to see. But and this is the just... Arsenal Vision post fan podcast, right? It's the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. Yeah. Like we're here. That that's the thing about being the player. When you're the player, the spotlight is on you. The fans are sitting in the darkened section. The players are standing on the lit section. There's a difference there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just saying to you, it's a bit of a mess, right? So, I so where do we go? I, where, where, what would you I, do I think if you're the club? I think, I think it's incredible how, and I did say this yesterday, it seems to have swept in this level of ugliness. It's swept in. It feels it feels quick to me. And um, I know there are lots of things that underpin it. Many, many years. You, and again, that's down to individuals and how what their expectations are and what they expected to see the new management and the club going forward. And that's an individual thing. But it feels very fast to me that we got to this ugly situation on Sunday. Going forward, what do I want to see? I, I want to see some leadership from the club. I think they need, they need to manage the situation. Obviously, we know something's coming tomorrow. They've kept themselves into, they've had a think today. They've had a discussion today. They've no doubt aligned their thoughts and there will be a communication strategy probably drip fed over the next couple of days to manage the situation and allow and allow preparation for a game on Wednesday and definitely an important game of the weekend. So that's what will happen in the next couple of days. And we'll have to I will I will read that and we'll we'll start a conjecture all over again. But in the end people are looking at ways to justify what happened on Sunday and looking at ways to justify their feelings about it, when actually I don't think it's important. What's important is the club, and the club is not in a great position. As for going forward, I think, I do think it needs to be a decisive step. I, I don't see how um, Shaka can continue as a captain, unless many within the club, and I mean everybody within the club, is unanimous about him continuing. Right. Mm. So, And if that's not a unanimous position, then I don't think it should happen. I think it puts everybody else under pressure. If that situation was to continue, 
then every time a mistake is made, every time he's not selected or selected, people would look for reasons why. And it puts the manager under pressure, it puts other players under pressure, it puts players competing for his position in a difficult situation. Is he being kept on because people will look after him? It's just something you need to just close. It needs to be closed. There needs to be a change. And Paul said something in one of the posts last week, where he feels Shaka should be more of an option rather than the option. And I think Arsenal fans would be more happier with that. No player can play every game, but he seems to play most of the important ones. I don't think his performances really, really demand that. And there are other people that should be given similar opportunities as he's had. And I just think it should be more of a rotation in an option way. And I agree very much with that statement. And I think I think fans then look at this and say, well, okay, I can see what's happening. People have, have given up on the player. And it is important how we feel about players. And we'll always argue about players and their mm. talent and their ability and their ceilings. That should never go away. That's part of that's part of fandom. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just how it's just how you do it. It's just how you do it. And mm. I wouldn't do it that way, but I wasn't there on, on a Sunday. I wouldn't have done it, but I don't want to say, well, ah, that was completely wrong. Because it's just a, it was a perfect storm situation that I think we need to focus on recovery. Yeah. Look, telling people not to boo is fine. The question is, if you're in that stadium at that moment, can you be sure of how you'd react? I mean, Clive, I know you can. I, I just think it's always careful what you, what you ask for. I was fired from my first job out of college uh, for telling my boss to go fuck himself. And he had it coming. And I deserved to be fired. And that's life. Around sporting stadiums and football stadiums all over the world every day, some player gets booed by his own fans. It's not pleasant when it happens. Google Manchester United booing player. They booed Ashley Young. They booed Marilyn Fellaini. They booed Paul Pogba. I'm not saying it's nice, and I'm not saying it should happen. And I understand the perspective of people that really don't like it and really think it shouldn't happen. And I still believe that the players understand that they can't react the way Shaka did, and that's that. And Paul, I think... For me, I you know, I think there's a bigger issue here now, which is very simply that there's no way back from this. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's the thing that I think I don't understand. So we're going to shift gears to David Ornstein's article, if you're okay with that. And we might even talk a little about sure. the game, although I think, honestly, it is a triviality in the grand scheme of things. It's more Emery Ball. L- losing on XG, not creating enough chances, giving away a lead. So, you know, it is what it is. But And the VAR thing, I, I covered that. If you guys want to talk about it, we can. Um, what I, what I'm trying to say to you, Paul is name me a situation where it's gotten this poisonous, where a captain is storming off the pitch, ripping his shirt off, throwing the armband, where fans are booing the captain, where fans are whistling the manager, where, you know, the, the, the manager had such a bad finish to the previous season and follows it up with a start like this. I just don't see any example in sport that I can think of, especially football, where this situation has been recovered by the guy in charge. So as a club, how can it carry on? How can you think that this is tenable at this point? Uh, I don't. I think it's a tailspin. I think it's, uh, I'm one of those uncontrolled tailspins. I think it's a nuclear reaction that's got away from uh, Homer Simpson at the nuclear plant. <laughs> there's, there's it has no been zero days since Arsenal had an incident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is no way that, the, the, the only fix for this, there is one fix for this which is results suddenly perk up. Now, does anybody think that's remotely likely at this point? 
Um, Chaka can't be field, fielded as the most, uh, n- not only an, an always starter, but even a usual starter. I mean, it's just not tenable at the moment unless he's Did going to Did this accidentally solve a problem for Emery? <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Like he yeah, can't pick Shaka yeah. now and maybe the midfield fixes itself? Or a... Yeah, except it would do if things weren't so bad, but it's beyond that because results aren't going to magically improve even if you drop Chaka and you start Ganduzi and Torreira. If we all think that suddenly we're we're going to be the team we want to be with, with Emery, with this current funk, I just don't see results getting better and that would be the only way out. And it, they would have to get significantly better. I think we're fucked and that uh, now I wouldn't have said this a week or two ago. So I'm surprised how things have gotten away from us. I didn't go into this game thinking this was remotely on the agenda. And like uh, if Chaka doesn't do what he does when he's when he's getting taken off uh, or if Chambers go or Chambers, the Chambers incident doesn't lead to that uh, Socrates goal getting turned over. We're, we're probably not here. I know a lot of people say, oh, no, we that doesn't really change but it does it significantly changes what the question is today now it was in the post anyway uh it may just have accelerated where we'd be in two weeks or four weeks or just after christmas but holy fuck doesn't it also uh, paul doesn't doesn't the reaction also show how much pressure is building behind the scenes because you don't yeah you don't break like that if you're not already feeling the pressure no absolutely this is uh, here's my Next analogy, which is this is like finding out your your spouse has had an affair, right? This was common in some form or other. Mm. You, you can say, oh, you know, um, did it have to be now? But it, it was common and, and like. Uh, Just this, like the guy this, having an affair with your spouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, that, was, that was bad. So there's, <laughs> it, it's on the table now. There's no getting rid of it. And if I'm Raul and Edu, I'm probably trying to work out how I backtrack from whatever the last thing I'd said to Stan was about how it's all under control <laughs> and we have a plan and shit and saying, you know what? <laughs> uh, so uh, now there's there's no way they could say anything other than what they said basically through David Ornstein. They'll make a a, a statement tomorrow that says, it's all fine. It's all cool. We're getting behind Emery. Emery will get behind Chaka, blah, blah, blah. But that's not going to change anything here. This fucking train's uh, rolling down the tracks, and it's about to go over a bridge that's just gotten blown up. Yeah. And I don't see any – they can make it worse, but they can't make it much better. And, uh, you know, then you're on to, well, how do we eloquent, elegantly pirouette – to the next stage of things is I, I don't I don't know what Clive thinks, but yeah, I don't see it, any you know what clean way out of this that'll take us much past Christmas. In chess, if you're down to having two pawns and they've got like a rook, two knights, and a queen, you're done. You know what yeah. I mean? You're in the end game now, and you can move those pawns around, but eventually you're losing. So you might as well yeah. tip the fucking pawns over and play a new game. And I feel like we're at two pawns against a rook, two knights, a queen seven pawns, a king, you know, it's, it's all going down. Uh, Clive, you want to add? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, I said, I said earlier that there'll be a price to pay in this. I think there'll be a price to pay because I think the environment that we are expecting these players to perform in is not conducive to 
creative performance and we can say well Clive the major doesn't have to allow them to play blah 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 but I'm telling you now you you won't get young men playing their best football in that environment and you won't get young men our 30 year old golden boot winner oh, if you think he's going to be signing a contract anytime soon let me know let me know what you think if that's going to happen same for Lacazette you know um if we want this club to go forward, well, we have responsibility to help create an environment that does go forward. That's all we can control as, as as fans. We can't control anything else. We can we can opine, we can talk about it, but we we can't influence. We can't influence massively. Well, maybe Sunday was a was a desperate cry for help to try and do that. You know. So, um, but in the end, we want this club to go forward. All of us do, and we need certain people to do that. The fact we have no footballing system is wrapped up in talented individuals and those talented individuals within the last two years of their contract. That's a concern to me. Will this lead to a price? A price that we're not even prepared, none of us want to pay or are prepared to pay. But um, that's really going to make have many, many years of us I, playing in that Europa League and I don't want to see that. I will tell you one thing though. I would always respect your opinion and think it is far uh, greater than my own. But in the case of what makes the club small and what makes players not want to be there, I actually think if we say the fans have something to do with it, honestly, I think we overestimate our own importance. I think it is wages. I think it is the city. I think it is the caliber of the competition. I think it is the... It's all of the above. Well, so the let, me, let me just make this point real quick. There are clubs around Europe where the fans hold the players hostage, <laughs> okay? There are ultras in Italy that make booing look like support, okay? there, There's all different kinds of things that can make a club look small. Spurs looked small until they didn't. Liverpool looked small until they weren't. Um, you know, Arsenal will get back on top and be one of the best clubs, if not the best club in England, again. And it will happen a lot more quickly than we think and in a moment where maybe we're not expecting it and then the trajectory will be up. And that's not where we are right now. But, you know, it, it always feels like... I mean, Manchester United are a mess. But that's a sleeping giant that could wake up any day if they got their shit together. So, you know, I... They're, they're waking up. Well, and, and they may be. I think Ed Woodward is is basically like the sedative that keeps them asleep. So, so long, long may he reign. But, well, let me ask you this, Clive. I want to get into the meat of... of um, David Ornstein's reporting on on Monday, and I guess what we'll do, look, we're 44 minutes in. We're not going to take an ad break, obviously, so if you'll just indulge me, I will simply say that if The Athletic is something you want to sign up for, to read Ornstein's article, Amy Lawrence wrote a wonderfully thoughtful article that really strongly disagrees with my take on booing, and yet I still totally respect her perspective and think you should read it. Um, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenalvision. You get a month for free, so you can read the Ornstein article, read the Lawrence article, read, read all the great stuff coming out about the Maelstrom at our club, and if you decide to stay on, it's 250 a month. So that would be great. Or alternatively, or in combination with that, sign up for our Patreon. Uh, we'll have a new pod out for patrons tomorrow. We'll have another later in the week. Um, that's it. That'll be the ad break. So I appreciate you indulging us in that. And, you know, apologize. I know it can be annoying, but certainly, um, you know, want to thank everybody who, who's been really considerate about those things. So anyway, uh, in the Ornstein article, there's a couple of things. And what I think is interesting is he says, they've met they still support Emery, although they realize they backed him as much as they can and the onus is on him now, but their their furor is directed more at the at the referees and at VAR. And to me, this is really clever. This is the club saying, we have got to take the white-hot spotlight off Emery in this situation. We can't build on it. 
Let's try to control the narrative and shift it to VAR because VAR did fuck us and VAR is broken and VAR is a problem. I see this as a control the narrative move. Try to shift the narrative to VAR and buy themselves a little bit of time. How do you react to his article and specifically the statement that um, there, there was some interest in giving him a contract over the summer or extending it? It wasn't unanimous, so they didn't, that they still back him and that they're mostly angry about VAR. How, how did you react to that reporting? I think uh, on the contract thing, I think um, the, the chatter I've heard uh, is that people are happy how dedicated Emery is. Uh, I do think the Europa League final really damaged him. I think he just, I just think he expected to win it. I think he really prepared for it. I think he over-prepared for it. And I think he's been overthinking ever since. I don't think he thought he was going to lose that game. And he ended up losing it handily. And um, I think I think there's been a reaction from the club since then. They've tried to support him in a strategic way and tried to give him some near-term um, cogs and, and took out some... Um, and players to allow young players to come through. So he's working with this squad. And I think this squad has got a better ceiling, more efficient squad than the squad of last season. But it, it needs, it, it needs, you know, it needs unity for us to go forward. On, on the VAR, on the VAR thing, I think, um, I think we've been, we've lost three points basically, haven't we, in a week, right? So despite the performance, despite the system, despite the, yeah, we got the clunkiness. Yeah. yeah, despite the lack of cohesion, despite the fact that we're too deep, despite the fact that, you know, we're not scoring enough goals, not getting enough shots, despite the fact that our golden boot win has gone cold for the last couple of games, despite all of these things, we still should have had three extra points this week. That would put us one point behind Chelsea and one point behind Leicester, playing in the same the same way that we've played. So people, I think the club feel, and whether I believe it or not, that the light was, should have been shining on that rather than talking about our captain taking off his shirt walking off the pitch. For me, I think the, the whole thing on VAR is something that I, I'm i not a huge fan of. I'm not a huge fan of implementation of it. I work around technology, so you can't stop it. It's coming. But I just think the way it's been implemented, and the, and the sudden change this weekend based on feedback, they'll obviously change how they're responding to it. And we really got caught in that, really got caught in that, unluckily. It's the best way to publicise the change. It's a, it's a do over a big team, and we're the one that got done over, and it's, and it's a real shame. It still doesn't paper over some of the things that are, that are going on. And and the, and the separation potentially in the dressing room, although that's subjective, things that are happening around the club. It does feel, Elliot, to me, that we are right close to something quite big. Mm. Um, and I might be, you know, I've, I've, during the Wenger, Wenger debates that we had, I used the word seminal a lot. It's a seminal moment, a seminal moment. And he never was. He was still there year after year after year. Well, there was no one to take that decision in that case. Yeah. There is now. The difference you know? is now. There's, there's people around the club. There's a structure around the club. There's a potential succession plan within the club. It doesn't feel like the world would end if something was to happen. Although I would like to feel, there's a part of me to feel, the, the traditional part of me that feels give a guy a chance, you know, but, you know, as the points are being dropped and we've won two in the last eight, you say to yourself, okay, yeah, you're just getting all your players back. You just had Lacazette for one and maybe one and a half games. Could we give a bit more time? But then you think the Leicester game is coming up. 
you know, it's it's coming to a head. It's coming to a moment where we will find out exactly where people's loyalties lie. We'll find out just how much the players are behind the manager because the light is going to be shining on them that Leicester game. The light's going to be shining on them on the Wolves game of the weekend. And we have to deliver. We have to deliver. If we don't deliver in the next two, three weeks, I do feel, you know, next international break will be absolutely critical. I'm not sure he will survive it. Yeah, I don't see how he how he can. And and I say that, look, I haven't been on the Emery bandwagon for a while, but I'm not saying it because I don't like him. I'm saying it because the combination of performances and results, the combination of what now looks like a dressing room that's slightly out of control, what now looks like the relationship between the fans and the, the team being broken, you have to make a move to heal this before the spiral becomes irreversible. And... There is still a top four place for us this season. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this season is far from over. There's a lot to accomplish still. Whether it's an FA Cup or Europa League or, God forbid, top four, those things are all within reach. And, Paul, that's why I want to focus on something that that Ornstein, uh, Ornstein, David Ornstein, reported in this article. And I love parsing language, so let's parse some language. What do you say? He says... It is also fair to say that Emery does not retain the backing of his entire squad. The main concern of some members being an apparent absence of team identity and clarity on what is being asked of them. That, to me, when I parse that, it's also fair to say, and then he says what the thing is, and he said, that to me smacks of some players have told him that. Then he says, but equally, the majority of players and staff are believed to be behind him. That smacks of... I've had that told to me by the press officer, right? So part one, it is fair to say Emery does not retain the backing of his squad. The main concern of some members being, that's reporting to me. The majority of players and staff are believed to be behind him is secondhand reporting. The first, to me, sounds like some players have said some stuff to him. The second sounds like he's been briefed. So how concerned would you be that, and by the way, you don't have to be a fucking genius to figure out who's not behind him. Like Alexander Lacazette is liking photos on Instagram of AFTV guys giving the middle finger to the camera and saying, fuck Emery and fuck Shaka. Like, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out where this is. And if Lacazette is off the Emery bandwagon, I think you better believe that Aubameyang is too. And their contract situations are major ones. So the club will be across that. Like, how did you react to that passage yeah. and, and the debate about players having or not having the back of their manager yeah so uh, i kind of thought about it the same way you did there but i didn't give it too much i was deeply troubled by it but i didn't give much more thought till i read the telegraph uh piece i think it is that talks about how emery is going to ask the team again if they still want him as as captain. So I think we know how that conversation oh is going to be played back to us tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But there was another piece in there that says there's a camp that's not happy with Emery and his selections and why Pepe keeps getting played, even though he hasn't scored. Uh, and that's that weird. there's a mess. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a mess at Ozil camp and you can kind of see who might be falling into which of those two camps there are. So uh, I don't think, the fact that there's a whole bunch of people who still support Emery, well, duh, they want to get picked, right? Uh, or if you're a kid or a junior or you're not empowered, the people who are likely to have issues with Emery are those who are high-profile players in their careers who don't have the time to fuck about and who don't feel they're 
Um, not so much that they're not getting picked, but that when they're playing, they're not getting to look good. It's not in. It's not showcasing them to their abilities, and that he's holding them back. I can figure out so, from context who we're talking about here. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and it's not just one camp. It's not just the Ozil camp. If we want to call them the Ozil and Pepe camps, it's not just the Ozil camp or the Pepe camp. You can think of people on both sides of it who are not enamored with uh, Emery and they're probably all our best and most high profile players. Um, So yeah, he's, you know, this shit's all fine when you're winning or doing okay, or you're moving forward, but uh, United were United success wall wallpapers over a lot of things, but this isn't just a lack of success. This is a fucking tailspin and things are going to come, come apart at the seams. I don't know how you stitch this together. That's why I think we're fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a Pepe camp and a and an Ozil camp, you know, watch out. I mean, Ozil shouldn't have a camp at this point, but he's back in the game, baby, because Emery's down, he's up. Uh, you know, his stocks are trading again. Um, he's not the answer by any means, and I think you know we've talked about that at length. Um, I don't there's any, think there's any scenario in which Ozil is at the center of what we do post. Emery, if that's how it pans out, but uh, he is another form of lightning rod. But yeah, I don't know how they stitched this together. I think it's. Uh, uh, I fully understand that they came out and they're making supportive noises to Emery. But what else would they do? As they have a parallel track where they're desperately trying to work out, well, what's Plan B, and is Plan B now Plan A, um, and how do they keep things moving forward? Uh, there's no way you you keep this whole thing together. I mean, Emery, for all the talk about Chaka, and I, I've seen it said a few times, but we haven't said it on this pod, all the Chaka shit is really Emery shit. He's brought, he's brought us to this point. He's I mostly agree cause. with that, yes. I most, I, I, yeah. What I would say is I think there's a little bit of frustration with Chaka, but to your point, if he sure, wasn't sure. being picked every game, starting every game, captain's armband every game, that he would just be a symptom of a squad that has some holes in it, not the the focus of frustration. Symptom and an icon of the Emery era yeah. that at, at arguably the most important position on the pitch, Emery's vision is that Chaka is the answer um, and all of our other options aren't and that Torreira's something like a number 10 and not at DM, and it all kind of step, stems from that one area of the pitch. Um, so I understand why Chaka got it, but it, this is really Emery's vision of football. And he, uh, I, I also think that in recent times, he's maybe begun to listen to other voices. Um, he, he's maybe had Edu and whoever in his office saying, you know, Emery, you might just think about loosening things up a little bit. And that's why we've seen more flexibility, why he pull, maybe he pulls off, Ch- you know, maybe Chaka got solved because he's starting to listen. But that isn't a bridge to a new vision. So I think he's going to caught, get caught between his vision from before and not knowing how to take it forward and it's not going to make things better just because he listens because it's not his vision. I think he's fucked. I think we're fucked till we change who the manager is and what the direction is. That's the issue. I mean, once you find black mold in a house, you might as well tear the fucking thing down and rebuild it. Um, you know, you don't go poking holes everywhere trying to look for other. I mean, obviously can't tear the whole house down, but you, you get my point. My point is that like, there is an amount of rot 
at which point you have to demolish the thing and start over. And trying to pick out, you know, and, and fix around the edges and cut around the edges and repair, I, you just, it's never going to work that way. Clive, I want to get on to one other thing about the David Ornstein article real quick is that he, he did mention that it was revealed to him, quite extraordinarily, the short list of managers that the club considered when they, uh, before they finally announced Unai Emery. <clears throat> and I, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on the list, but here's what I think is interesting. It's Mas, uh, Allegri, Arteta, Henri, Lopetegui, Lopetegui, Ragnick, Sampaoli, and Vieira. So the interesting thing for me, Clive, along with Emery, is just that is a list of people that I don't know that many of them have anything in common with one another. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of divergent approaches to football and roles and histories and philosophies around that. Surely not every one of those players could have fit the the style we were planning to build around the the squad we had and the, the vision we had. So, I mean, a lot of it is probably moot because it's a Gazetas list in, in large part. But what did you think of that information and the degree to which the list is fairly um, divergent from in, in terms of philosophies and styles and approaches and ranges of, of experience and things like that? Uh, I think that's that's quite a positive thing. You'd want to see different types of people. You wouldn't want to see after 22 years just one type of manager come in. You'd want, you'd want to see what people say as you're trying to forge a new direction that you actually don't know what it is. I mean, even the back room since those days has changed massively. The squad has changed massively since those days. So I think what we've seen since Raul's really got his feet under the table and Ivan's left is a, is a turn again in the road about what direction we're going, Sven leaving, Edu coming. And now we've got something a little bit more stable, a little bit more medium term. So I'm actually quite pleased to see that level of thought go into it. And I will say that at the time. The one line I did that did stand out for me was the fact that why they didn't pick Arteta. I thought it was really interesting when I think they said that it wasn't just experience, but the fact he had no backroom staff. I thought that is very interesting because... They were looking for a level of coaching authority and different structure and different people to come in, as they did take out a lot of coaches when uh, when Benga left, a lot of us, uh, scouts, etc. And I think you'll find a lot of these top managers, they bring a lot of people with them. And Arteta being a, a coach and a, a player mentor wasn't maybe ready for a job the size of Arsenal and Arsenal weren't ready for him to support him with a level of coaches and support that he would need. So he needs someone to come in more ready-made, someone who's been to the top level and, and Emery was there supposedly unanimous choice. So that to me was the most interesting piece of all those people there. Um, the one the one that I... The one that I like probably um, is just a, a favoritism, really. I, 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 do, I do like I do like Allegri, but thinking it doesn't really add up because some of the communication issues that we see today, I believe, will still be prevalent with Allegri. So it's just purely for the fact that I like some of his Juventus teams and I like his his stature. And I hope one day that Patrick Vieira is good enough to be Arsenal manager because I think he would bring something unique to the club. That's just my personal preference. Again, I think that was the most interesting line coming out of it was about Arteta, really. And idealistically, and what he did for the club, and many people would have loved to have seen that without really understanding what it would look like, what it would, how it would work, 
given the fact he's never really picked a team ever in his life. We we just don't know. But the idea sounds really enticing, and that's where we were in 2018. And I think some people like to see us go that direction today, based on the the smiling faces and seven, eight games in a row that Frank Lampard has accumulated at Chelsea. Could we do something similar at Arsenal? And I think all of this is creating an atmosphere uh, around the around Arsenal, which is we're just looking at. I said today on Twitter, we're looking at everyone else's lawn. I mean, it looks greener than ours at the moment, and, and we need to try to get back on the horse. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm I'm not as fatalistic, ironically, as you might expect, because I do think these things can turn around a lot faster than we think. I mean, sometimes when it's not working with a manager, um, you know, it, it gets so bad that it can be perceived that the situation will take ages to turn around when, in fact, minor changes can make big differences. So I, I'm not I'm actually not as worried about us being able to turn it around if we make a change. I'm much more worried about us not being able to turn it around under the the current situation and you know that's the thing Paul for me I I guess when I just look ahead it's Liverpool in midweek the team is going to be real down there's a lot of turmoil League Cup is not a competition most people care about and Emery's in a really tough spot now because he has to take every game deathly seriously like his job depends on it because it might and yet that's not what you want a manager doing when he's fighting on three or four fronts you need to prioritize so as we look ahead to that Liverpool game, do you worry for him a little bit that he's coming up against a very good team with no pressure on it? He's got massive pressure on him in a game that he, he he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't in a way because nobody wants him taking the League Cup super seriously, but he can't just throw a game against Liverpool. How, how tough a position is it for him now to, to try to thread the needle in terms of figuring out how to how to strategize for the games coming up? Well, it's a good question. The one thing he's got going for him is it's at Anfield and not the Emirates. Thank fuck. Um, So, uh, I mean, the easy answer is just play the team he'd play in the Europa League, by and large. There will be one or two players where he has to make a tough decision, maybe at, uh, uh, you know, what's he do? Well, is is fullback a tough decision at the moment? Maybe because Tierney can't quite play twice a week at the moment. Um, but striker is probably the position where he's got to make a tough choice. But maybe Martinelli ma- made that a little different, or maybe Lacazette needs the minutes, or blah blah blah. So I think mostly he might be able to. I, I, you've always had to be in your bonnet about this League Cup game. Um, where I really haven't, I don't see what the big deal will be. No, I, I don't think it's a big deal, for the record. I, I, I prefer it to be taken less seriously. No, not the game, the selection. You th- you've you always thought he was going to go big in this and yeah, that he'd I do, always I want to win it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but if he just plays, I mean, let's not worry about the, let's more think philosophy than actual individual players. If he'd played the, Le- the Europa League team that we put out last week against Vitoria, would you have an issue with that in against Liverpool and I would Anfield? Not. Me, no, of course not. I, I you, he could play uh, he could I don't play think Academy he mu- under tens. I wouldn't yeah. care. I don't what makes you think he'd go stronger than that? Because I don't think he would. I, I think the combination of the pressure that's on him, the concern about a heavy loss, I look at the team he put out in the the League Cup when we played Spurs at home last year and I know you could say a Derby's a different deal or whatnot. I'm just basing it off of the fact that I think 
This is a guy who wants to win every game, manages every game like it's his last. In this case, it may feel like it could be. So all of the factors surrounding him, and Paul, I have a, in this instance, I have a lot of sympathy for him because I could see why he'd feel pressure to put out a strong team under the circumstances. I, I just think yeah, it but leans I, that I way. I just think he'll be all in on Wolves and he plays a Europa League-style yeah. team for Liverpool at Anfield. I don't think there's going to be more pressure than the well, let me on ask him you a that would make him do something else. Yeah, which, which do you think would relieve pressure on him more? Beating Liverpool in the League Cup at Anfield or a close loss at Anfield and comprehensively winning the Wolves game at home in the league? Wolves win the Wolves game. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. Although, gosh, if you want to, if you want to somehow, I mean, it's not the Emirates. I mean, yeah. my God, there, there's really it's no competition. Uh, I mean, he, we don't want to stink the place up at Anfield, but if the young lads go out and do what they've generally done, which is probably what he hopes, then it, whether we win, win, lose, or draw at Anfield, it'll be okay. And it's the kids, so what are you going to bash him for? So it's kind mm. of a free hit at Anfield. And uh, he'll be all in for Wolves at home at the Emirates. Clive, how, how does he thread the needle for you? I mean, if, if you were advising him, if you were his wartime consigliere, um, <laughs> how would you suggest he thread the needle over these next coming weeks? I, I mean, and let, let's say this. We all feel that it may be too far gone, that there's, there's no coming back. There's no turning back now. But if he was going to get it turned way. around, how, how what, 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 what would your consult be, though, if, if you were trying to get okay. it turned around? I agree, Paul. It's all about Saturday. So um, I think maybe one or two extra tweaks into the Liverpool team. But, you know, one of Aubameyang and Lacazette may play, I think, in that game. And um, and maybe one will be sitting at home. But I think one of them will play. Cause I just think we need to have it there on the bench. And Liverpool did a similar thing. You look at their the League Cup teams. They've not been very strong. There'll no doubt be a little bit of a deal about how many young players will play. And they'll be they'll they'll know. You won't find one team turn up that's super strong and one team be super weak. There'll be a lack of agreement on what type of players will be playing, fringe players. So so that's how I see that one going. Now for me, going forward on the football side of things, I think Amy Lawrence said a lovely line the other day. She said something like, He's searching for the keys to unlock this team. And what he's doing is he's desperately searching and he just keeps changing and he just keeps changing formations and it's just not quite clicking. And I think so, he's adding so to weirdly, can, can I add something, Clive? Somebody made a point recently, and I think it's true. Weirdly, he's stopped chopping and changing recently. Um, well, even on the weekend, Paul, he went 4 went 4, four, four two. It was bizarre. And I, and I, and I couldn't thinking, make heads or tails of and then, But then if you do that, then then maybe start with, with Saka on the on the left, you know, mm. and just and keep it balanced, right? You I mean, so, can't press because the strikers and, are too split. What, it's too, they, they did a great job on Match of the Day, by the way, highlighting this. Credit where it's due. Because of how wide the strikers were split, Every time Palace got the ball deep, like a central defender got the ball, they had acres of space to just stand in and, and survey and progress it up the pitch and, and get it into hurtful areas. There was no ability to close them down because of that formation. I I thought that was we a really interesting flat. point that they we, made. We were flat up front, and, and they, it looked like we weren't sent to press. We were just set to set up when we have the ball. So he thought he'd put Sabayas on the left, knowing he'll leave the left-hand side, and he thought Tierney will come up and overlap. It's just overthinking. At these moments of pressure... What I would advise is simplicity. Just keep it simple. Stick to one system. I know which one I would use, but he would use probably a 4-2-3-1. Stick to it. 
get your players into their slots, rotate them into their slots, have your four deep line double pivots, rotate them, have your two or three tens, rotate them, have your you know, four, four or five forwards, rotate them, keep to the system that you're going to live and die on. Don't keep changing. Get some simplicity and some simple messages through to players that they can digest. Get yourself a foothold. I would definitely go three at the back. I just think it's more simplistic. And I think we've got more players that rotate into those roles, given the fact that you've got the Europa and the League Cup all mixed in together and, and many league games coming. We've got a lot of fit players now. Give people a chance to play in their strongest positions while they're, they're, while they're recovering from injury and adapting to the league. That's what I would do, but he may have a different way. Keep it simple. Keep the messages simple. Play in people's halves. Move the ball quickly. Keep it simple. The fact that you're trying so hard to find the golden key is just making it worse mm, and just totally adding agree. a lack of yep. just adding a lack of clarity. So stop trying so hard. You're trying too hard and you're confusing people. You're not I call it the air hostess syndrome, right? When you're on a plane and you're going through your nervous flyer and you're you're going through turbulence, the first thing you do is look at the air hostess. And if the air hostess is is nervous you get nervous because you think, crikey, she flies every day, right? If she's smiling, you carry on smiling. These can't be that bad. At the moment, he looks nervous and it's permeating to everybody in the crowd, it's permeating to the players, and now you're being criticised for a lack of clarity and poor communication. As I said the other week, coaching for me is all about communication, all about how you connect to people. I think this is a major weakness for the manager and I think... That, in the end, will end up being his undoing. I hope it's not. I generally hope it's not. Just one human to another human. I hope he can recover. I fear he won't. But I hope he can recover because I want Arsenal to recover. I want us to get better results. I don't like where we are at the moment. So if that would be my message to him, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. Yeah. Just just that. I, I would love to give Emery a kiss. That's for sure. Um, Paul, I, that that's it for me. I mean, I, I think when I look at this game, I... I have to admit, I had a little chuckle when, you know, it was like five minutes in and you finally start to look at the formation. You're kind of seeing how it's set up. And I was like, Jesus, it's a 4-4-2. He's, he's tried something else. He's tried something else new. 4-4-2, forward split wide, Aubameyang and Lacazette patrolling the half spaces. Like, you do you, Emery. You just keep giving them different instructions, buddy, and keep expecting them to figure it out. And by God, they can't. And it just seems clear to me that now, you know, he... He's like a guy in the horror movie who's in the truck and the bad guy's coming and he's got the keys and he's trying to find which key starts the fucking truck and the bad guy's getting closer and he's hit the keys or Jane, he dropped him on the floor of the car and now he's trying to get him. And I, I am worried that the bad guy's going to get in the truck before he gets it started. Yeah. Any last thoughts about his, uh, his latest key that he's tried in the ignition? Yeah. It's sad, so sad. It's a sad, sad situation. You know what? You're going to be doing the intros pretty soon, my man. That that was solid. (laughs) That was solid. That new mic is wicked. The the real thought I have on all of it, and it was the wrong point I made earlier, is I think generally we've mostly been okay with the lineups, Chaka to one side. I mean, when you look at the, the personnel he put out, he pretty much picked the right players. But yeah, he's 
it's, it, it's all lost in translation in terms of his communication uh, with the team and just them buying into it and them having a feel that he has a vision that they can invest themselves in. And there's no, you know, at this stage, there's no get, injecting vision into Emery and it being transmitted to the players. Um, what, what might be interesting is in the short term is that they rally around Chaka, that they rally around a siege mentality um, and that we get a bump of performances in the short term. But that might just kind of that might be like serving hors d'oeuvres uh, using our hostess as the tail still in a tailspin heading downwards. So <laughs> our analogies are always the best part of the pod. Yeah. Um, it's sad, so sad. Oh no, don't start. Do, you you did a great job. Good, good for you, man. Um, yeah. Look, I think there's one thing we have to say before we say goodbye, and that is this whole thing could turn out to be a big case of misunderstanding because you know Halloween is right around the corner, and mm. everyone at the Emirates might have just been like trying to be a ghost. Boo. Right? Like, what if they were just making ghost noises and everybody just had it wrong? Just something to consider. We always try to look for a new perspective here on the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. Uh, Tim will be on tomorrow for the Patreon pod. <laughs> Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAF. Say thanks to Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo! My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review. Write nasty things about me uh, in my Twitter feed if you haven't blocked me already. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who has signed up for Patreon. I, I know a bunch of you joined us for the hysterical um, Broken Cannons immediate reaction to, to the match yesterday, and I, I appreciate you for that. But we will have more intelligent, hopefully, stuff coming up. Maybe a rewatch coming up. I think we're going to try that. Clive, you up for it? You bet. All right, good stuff. That'll be fun. Look, there's still football to talk about. We didn't get to much of it today, but we will get to it after the next one, I'm sure, unless like all the players take their pants down and start like wiping the shirt on their ass or something. Then we'll have to talk about that. It's Arsenal. You never know. But in any event, we will talk to you after what is surely going to happen. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.